the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Clark Hilton Engineering today's program. In the second hour of today's program, we'll share a conversation with Steve Brown, Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable. That can be something of a challenge. But first, we'll take a look at some of the day's uh, headlines. COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations here in Oregon are slowly dropping from record high numbers fueled by the Delta variant over the past several weeks. Oregon State epidemiologist and health officer Dr. Dean Seidlinger, he gave an update today during a news conference. He said the newest data show daily cases and hospitalizations have stabilized after peaking around the start of September. The numbers are projected to gradually decline over the next few weeks. One wonders what will Thanksgiving look like. Well, according to the Oregon Health Authority, as of September 15th, the seven-day daily is 1,949 cases. The same average on September 1st was 2,200 cases. Over the same period, the percentage of positive tests dropped from 11.9% to 11.5%. Well, the Oregon Health Authority also said COVID-19-related hospitalizations fell by 42% following six straight weeks of increases. Still, Oregon is still totaling more than a 1,000 COVID-related hospitalizations a day, which is putting significant stress on the state's health system. Deaths from COVID-19 declined by 30% from the previous week. These are positive trends, uh, Seidlinger said, but we need to keep up the pressure against the virus. We know from our experience in this pandemic that a... uh, Slippage in our resolve can quickly erase these hard-won gains, end quote. While health officials are concerned, there could be a surge of the Delta variant during the fall and winter. Seidlinger urged Oregonians uh, age six months and above to get the flu shot. He also said people should continue to wear masks in indoor public spaces and in large outdoor crowds. Seidlinger said safety protocols have helped minimize the spread of COVID-19 in schools. However, some schools in the state have temporarily reverted to distance learning due to COVID-19 exposure. One such example in Troutdale, Reynolds High School. Well, their students are going back to distance learning all of next week because of the number of students already in quarantine due to possible COVID-19 exposure. Now, that's exposure possible, not that they necessarily have it. An abundance of caution, apparently. While the number of students or staff who have tested positive are small, these cases have required large numbers of students to quarantine due to possible exposure in the last few days. The school said on its website, as more students are required to quarantine and learn from uh, from home, while other students are learning in the classroom, teachers are unable to provide education in both in-person and virtual environments at the same time. There will be no school on Thursday or Friday of this week. The school's plan is to teach students remotely from Monday, September 20th through Friday the 24th. All students are expected to go back to in-person learning the following week. That's after the quarantine period. 
School leaders will also be implementing other changes to minimize the risk of exposure in the future. Well, under the changes, spectators will no longer be allowed at school sporting events. That'll be fun for the athletes. Only players, coaches and support staff can attend until further notice. Seating charts will be implemented in classrooms and on school buses. And again, we're talking about the Reynolds School District. Uh, Last but not least, families will be asked to voluntarily report students vaccination status to the school voluntarily. Now, what they're going to do with that, it's not clear. If we have confirmed fully vaccinated status for a student, they may not be required to quarantine in the event of a future exposure, the school's website said. But they did also emphasize this would be voluntary on the part of the parents. Well, in other news, President Biden today pitched his $3.5 trillion spending plan as a way to close the wealth gap, arguing that the economy currently doesn't work for many Americans and that Democrats' massive bill can fix it. Well, it will fix something. Uh, Are we going to continue with an economy where the overwhelming share of the benefits go to big corporations and the very wealthy? Or are um, we going to take the moment right now and send this country on a new path? The president said in remarks from the White House, one that invests in this nation, he went on to say, creates um, real sustained economic growth and benefits everyone. Now, 61 percent of the American population doesn't pay Uh, taxes. So this is an interesting thought. Well, the data he went on to say is absolutely clear over that. And I should say um, you certainly pay taxes on goods and services, but not taxes that uh, the IRS collects or your state. Well, the data is absolutely clear over the past 40 years. The president said the wealth have uh, wealthy have gotten wealthier and too many corporations have lost a sense of responsibility to their workers, the community and the country. Uh, How is it possible that the wealthiest billionaire in the country can entirely escape paying taxes on what they made? End quote. One of the ways the president said his plan would uh, help close the wealth gap would be through increased tax enforcement on the wealthy, including by surveillance of their bank accounts. And he's proposed uh, increasing the number of IRS agents and funding rather significantly. More on that in a moment. Well, the president said that uh, it would uh, ask just for two pieces of information from the banks of uh, these folks, the amounts that come into their bank accounts and the amounts that go out of their bank accounts. Now, think about that for a moment. Is that something you want the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, to monitor? Well, the president said that this is uh, so that they can pay what they owe, what the existing tax code calls for. Well, the president said, I'm not out to punish anyone. I'm a capitalist. If you can make a million or a billion dollars, that's great. God bless you. All I'm asking is that you pay your fair share. And of course, fair share in quotes can be interpreted many different ways by many different people. Well, the address comes as Democrats are struggling to hash out details about the exactly uh, what will be in their budget reconciliation bill, the legislative vehicle that allows them to circumvent the Senate filibuster and thus avoid working with Republicans. So this will be an all Democrat piece of legislation. Well, some moderates are upset at how expensive the legislation is and at how quickly it's being thrown together. There are also disagreements on the details of how to handle certain elements of the bill, like SALT taxes, or that's capital S-A-L-T taxes, or prescription drugs. A group of moderate Democrats, for example, voted against a prescription drug provision in the House Energy and Commerce Committee this week. Well, some moderate Republicans, meanwhile, are threatening to withhold their votes on the bipartisan infrastructure bill in protest of how expensive the reconciliation bill is going to be. And, of course, there are some Democrats who say if you we're not going to pass uh, the rec- the um, 
infrastructure bill unless the reconciliation bill is passed. So it's going to be rather um, raucous over these next uh, few weeks. Uh, Biden on on Thursday said that he's still confident both of these bills will pass. Quoting the president, he said, I'm confident that Congress will deliver to my desk both the bipartisan infrastructure plan and the Build Back Better plan that I have proposed. I've said many times before I believe uh, before rather, I believe we are at an inflection point in this country. Well, the president also hit back against criticism from Republicans that it will explode the debt, arguing that it is paid for. It's fiscally responsible. Well, that is a highly debatable point. But he went on to say by making sure corporations and the wealthy pay their fair share. Well, the truth is they their taxes will not be sufficient to cover the high cost of what's being proposed. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi last week notably said we will pay for more than half, maybe all of the legislation. Well, there you have it. The lines are drawn primarily among the Democrats since uh, they're they will not need Republicans in order to pass this reconciliation bill. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the administration defended its uh, plan to increase funding for the Internal Revenue Service by nearly 80 billion dollars. That's for the tax collectors. Arguing in a memo to congressional Democrats, the additional money could help the agency crack down on wealthy tax dodgers and recover billions in lost revenue. Well, the president's plan will give the IRS the resources and information it needs to increase enforcement against the highest income cheats while protecting Americans earning less than $400,000 per year, the White House said. Now, will the IRS be that disciplined that only those who meet the threshold set by the president uh, are going to be looked at through a magnifying glass, or will that trickle down when it's uh, realized that you can't tax the rich enough to pay for some of the initiatives that we're talking about here? Well, the memo comes after House Democrats on Monday released a draft of the proposed tax increases, including providing the IRS with an additional $78 billion in funding for enforcement measures. But the White House also wants to give the agency more power over the next decade to crack down on tax evasion by high earners and corporations, a move that has uh, prompted a swish uh, backlash from uh, Republicans. Well, the Tax Writing Ways and Means Committee didn't include any new um, bank reporting requirements in the revenue blueprint. Uh, blue rather, The administration said in a memo that Biden's plan includes requiring banks and financial institutions to provide a little bit of high-level information to the IRS on account flaws, uh, flows rather, in order to give the agency more information about wealthy Americans' earnings from the uh, investments and business activity they're engaged in. Well, it caveated that uh, banks will not have to report individual transactions to the IRS. Well, that's good news. But rather, basic high-level information on account inflows and outflows. I'd like to see the definition of that. Uh, And again, the memo said, imagine a taxpayer who spent $10,000 of income but has $1 million of flows in and out of their bank account, the memo said. Having this summary information will help flag for the IRS when high-income people under-report their their income and underpay their tax obligations. Money generated from the plan would be used to fund Democrats' sweeping $3.5 trillion spending package, which would dramatically expand the social safety net. So this is a rather interesting uh, proposal that has uh, raises a number of serious questions about the role of the IRS as expanded powers and to whom it will be focused or if it should be focused on American taxpayers at all.
Well, a federal judge uh, is working with John Durham. You might remember the name from the last administration. The special counsel tapped by the Trump administration to audit the Russia investigation. He handed an indictment against a cybersecurity attorney for knowingly making a false statement to the FBI. Now, Durham was reportedly investigating whether Michael Sussman, a former federal prosecutor and a lawyer at Perkins Coy, lied to the FBI regarding who, if anyone, he was representing when he tipped off the bureau about communications between the Trump organization and the Kremlin-connected Russian bank, Alpha Bank. Well, the indictment states that Sussman lied to top FBI lawyer James Baker in a meeting in September of 2016, in that meeting, Sussman presented data and analysis from cybersecurity researchers who suspected the Trump organization was using a secret server to communicate with Alpha Bank. The rumor of a secret server, which was fanned by Hillary Clinton and sympathizers in the press, was ultimately dismissed and never appeared in special counsel Robert Mueller's final report. Well, during the course of his now years-long investigation, Durham discovered discrepancies between Sussman's congressional testimony and the claims he made during his September interview with Baker. Well, during their discussion, Baker claims that Sussman told him he wasn't working on the Alpha Bank project for any specific client, contradicting his 2017 testimony before Congress, in which he said he was working for an unnamed cybersecurity expert. Well, in addition, Perkins Coy, the firm he worked for, their internal billing records, which Durham obtained, suggest something potentially more nefarious. Sussman billed the hours he spent on the Alpha Bank probe to Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign, suggesting he was fanning the flames of the Russia probe on behalf of the former presidential candidate, another finding inconsistent with his 2017 deposition. Now, facing the looming indictment, Sussman's lawyers have reiterated that he was telling the truth when he said he was working for a cyber security expert and have refuted the Clinton allegation. Well, they um, clarified that the billing records don't tell the whole story. They argue that Sussman's, uh, Sussman grouped his Alpha Bank work with the Clinton campaign for mere documents documentation purposes, you know, saving on trees. Well, despite the inconsistencies in Sussman's statements regarding the existence or identity of his client in 2016, the cybersecurity expert's new lawyer, Stephen Terrell, attempted to quiet the speculation, confirming that his client did, in fact, hire Sussman for legal services. Well, my client is an apolitical cybersecurity expert with a history of public service who felt duty-bound to share with law enforcement sensitive information provided to him by DNS experts, Terrell told The Times. Well, he sought legal advice from Michael Sussman, who had advised him on unrelated matters in the past, and Mr. Sussman shared that information with the FBI on his behalf. He did not know Mr. Sussman's law firm had a relationship with the Clinton campaign and was simply doing the right thing, he affirmed. That's a quote, by the way. Well, Republicans have accused Democratic operatives and collaborators like Sussman of fanning the flames of what came to be known as Russia Gate to hurt the Trump campaign. Then special counsel Robert Mueller's 2019 report concluded that the Trump campaign did not conspire with the Russian regime to secure his election over Clinton's. Well, it continues. You probably thought it was already dead, but it has risen again. Well, the president's, uh, I should say, former President Trump's ex-acting defense chief says the Milly China calls were not authorized. The former acting secretary of defense, Christopher Miller, who led the Pentagon from a period of uh, after 2020 election through Inauguration Day, said that he did not and would not ever authorize chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, to have secret calls 
with his Chinese counterpart describing the allegations as a disgraceful and unprecedented act of insubordination and calling on him to resign immediately. Well, in a statement, uh, Miller said the U.S. armed forces um, from their inception have operated under the uh, inviolable principle of civilian control of the military. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is the highest ranking military officer whose sole role is providing military specific advice to the president and by law is prohibited from exercising executive authority to command forces. Miller said the chain of command runs from the president to the secretary of defense, not through the chairman. Well, Miller went on to reference the allegations which are included in the book Peril soon to be released, co-written by Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Robert Costa, many uh, expressing skepticism about the reliability of those sources, that Melly made two uh, secret phone calls, both to his Chinese counterpart, General uh, Li Zhaoheng of the People's Liberation Army. The book alleges the phone calls took place prior to the 2020 presidential election on October 30th, 2020, and then two days after the January 6th Capitol riot on January 8th. Well, Carl Rove is urging caution on the book and the claims made in it. He says General Milley rather has a real problem if he broke the chain of command. But that's a big if. After Bob Woodward's new book revealed General Mark Milley had phone calls with Chinese officials, Carl Rove told America's Newsroom on Thursday that he has learned to be skeptical about such claims, but said there's a real problem if the general went outside the chain of command. Carl Rove said, if true, it could be um, uh, it could be wrong. I long, uh, long ago learned to distrust. I respect Bob Woodward and Bob Costa, but I learned long ago not to believe everything Bob writes in his book is accurate. He had three or four about the Bush years. I knew things that were in there that were expressed as facts that simply were absolutely not true. So he holds out um, hope that, in fact, the writers got it wrong. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, coming up in the second hour, Steve Brown, Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Hey, by the way, uh, coming up in the five o'clock hour, we'll hear from Steve Brown, author of Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable. That's coming up in our second segment of the second hour of today's program. So there you have it. Well, despite already spending trillions of dollars on COVID-19 relief legislation for the past few months, Democrats have been f- uh, focused on uh, designing the, uh, the largest tax and spend bill in U.S. history. Now, as the House and the Senate move the legislation through uh, at freight train speed, some of it not yet pinned or read or understood, uh, troubling details about the plan have emerged. Now, that's always the case when there's a spending plan and, you you know, the devil is always in the details and the details are just beginning to emerge. All Americans should be concerned about the plans for amnesty, uh, job killing tax hikes. And that's not just for the rich, despite what the rhetoric says, and a spending surge that threatens to cause both runaway inflation and dangerously high debt. Some things to uh, to be mindful of. Well, the situation is so dire, a growing chorus of moderate Democrats are pushing back against both the uh, nature of the legislation and the way it's being railroaded through by leadership. Well, in, jo- in July, rather, Senator Kirsten Sinema announced, she's a Democrat from Arizona, announced that she was uncomfortable with the size and scope of the package. She's right to be worried. At $3.5 trillion, this bill would cost um, every household in the country more than $27,000. 
and the rich aren't going to be able to cover all of that. On September 2nd, Joe Manchin, he's a Democrat from West Virginia, he wrote a commentary piece for the Wall Street Journal to voice his own reservations. He also cited the amount of spending, especially in light of massive COVID-19 spending. It's worth remembering that all of this new spending would be in addition to more than $5 trillion that was passed in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic and the more than $1 trillion for the infrastructure bill likely to pass later this month. In total, Congress and the administration stand to spend more than $9 trillion in less than 12 months. Apart from the many policy flaws of these spending bills, that's an enormous amount of money. Pumping so much cash into the economy in such a short period of time has several consequences, one of which has been a dramatic surge of price inflation. Manchin rightly noted that passing the $3.5 trillion mega package could threaten to send inflation spiraling out of control. Another one of Manchin's uh, concerns is the expectation that the new spending bill will add between one to two trillion dollars to the national debt. With the debt currently at rather $28.4 trillion or more than $220,000 per household, blinding um, or rather blindly adding more to the national credit card could be dangerous for America's future, namely your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Well, other uh, Democratic moderates, including Representatives uh, Stephanie Murphy of Florida and Henry Sullier of uh, Texas, echoed those concerns about the debt in a letter to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, where they requested that the bill not add to the debt. Well, avoiding a debt increase would make the current package dramatically more difficult to pass. That's because there is no realistic way to cover $3.5 trillion in spending while limiting the tax to high-income households and businesses. Well, there's more to be said, but the debate will begin in earnest very shortly, and we will follow that developing story as it does just that. Well, Utah investigators are not ruling anything out in the double homicide near the Gabby Petito incident. This was headline news throughout much of the day. Utah investigators have not ruled out a potential connection between Two high-profile cases in the scenic campgrounds around Moab, a grisly double homicide that left newlyweds dead and an apparent lover's quarrel involving a woman who has since gone missing. We're looking at everything, say law enforcement, anything and everything that was suspicious around the time. And, oh, we're not ruling anything out at this time, a spokesman for the Grand County Sheriff's Office uh, told Uh, news outlets on Wednesday afternoon. So we're just investigating the information as it comes in. Crystal Turner, 38, and Kylan Schult, 24, were last seen on the 13th of last month at Woody's Tavern on Main Street in Moab. Uh, They were found shot to death in the uh, South Mesa area of LaSalle Loop Road five days later. Schulte worked nearby at a co-op grocery store, uh, the organic herb-scented a store where the 22-year-old um, and the 23-year-old got into an emotional argument that prompted a police response on the 12th. Uh, Gabby Petito, who's 22, is now missing. Well, the proximity of time and location prompted some speculation that the two separate incidents may share another connection, but there was no immediate evidence suggesting a connection. The fiancé of 22-year-old Petito, uh, 23-year-old Brian Laundrie, has opted not to speak to law enforcement. He was the last one to have been with her. He turned up home several weeks ago without her and is refusing to offer any information about uh, what happened. In other developments, have you seen her, family of the missing woman, Gabby, 
have released uh, photos and asking the public to look very carefully at them. Her Instagram account has reappeared after a company temporarily removed her profile. Not clear why that happened. And a Florida girl has been found safe after being abducted 14 years ago. She's been reunited with her mother. Can you imagine? Well, Alex Murdaugh plans to surrender and did to authorities after a warrant was issued, according to his lawyer. They appeared in court earlier today. But Alex Murdaugh, the South Carolina lawyer who allegedly arranged for someone to kill him in an effort to collect millions in insurance payouts for his son, turned himself into authorities today. His lawyer um, representing him. We have been informed that there is a warrant for this for his arrest for the conspiracy to commit insurance fraud. He plans to voluntarily surrender and the arraignment and bond hearing will be held at Hampton County Magistrate Court. Well, all of that took place earlier today. The development comes after a September 4th shooting in which Murdoch, 53, and a former attorney, was grazed by a bullet to his head in broad daylight on the side of a rural road just months after his wife and son were both shot dead. He allegedly admitted the shooting was part of a scheme to collect $10 million insurance payout for his surviving son. He was not intended to survive the effort. Well, in the midst of the current Murdoch controversy, South Carolina police have launched a probe into the death of the family's longtime housekeeper and nanny. And Alex Murdoch's attorney says of the shooting incident, his client clearly knew what he was doing uh, and what uh, and that it was wrong. He was referring to Murdoch's botched attempt to end his own life in hopes of providing insurance for his surviving son. Well, Moderna offered an analysis saying those vaccinated last year are twice as likely to get COVID-19 than those jabbed recently. Jewel Jones, a Michigan state representative, has been found with a handcuff key inside the jail. Not sure where how Jewel got that that key. The media are pushing the uh, narrative that patriotism is um, adjacent to something evil, according to analysts. A relatively consistent story. And a Virginia Tech professor has apologized for being a white, straight, cisgendered female. So. Again, the effort is to shame people for what and who they are, not necessarily what they as an individual have actually done. AOC is making a desperate move to resurrect COVID unemployment benefits and a new tool can tell you if you have a high risk of uh, catching COVID. More evidence has emerged um, proving Biden was warned that the Taliban would quickly take Afghanistan uh, over. General Austin Miller, the commander of the U.S. forces in Afghanistan from 2018 through July of this year, reportedly warned Democrat President Biden against withdrawing all forces from the country. And he strongly pushed back against intelligence reports that said the Afghan military could hold off the Taliban for one to three years, indicating that they would collapse significantly faster. Well, uh, Jackie Heinrich, a reporter, said that Miller made the remarks during a classified Senate Armed Service Committee hearing yesterday, according to multiple sources who were present at that hearing. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I need to take a break. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're winding our way through some of the top news stories coming up in our next hour. We'll talk with Steve Brown. Talk the walk, how to be right without being insufferable. And uh, we'll also talk about whether or not America still works. We're not just talking about jobs. We're talking about the the idea of America and whether or not it still works. That's coming up in our final segment today. Well, a former U.S. Army officer says the Taliban is beheading young boys, according to Jean-Marie Thrower, who is now part of a volunteer rescue team, and those efforts are continuing. We have had people shot, beheaded. They're taking the kids. 
if you're on the run and they find your family, they'll hurt your family and put uh, the word out in the neighborhood uh, that uh, we've got your brother or sister or daughter, Thrower said. Uh, they cut off the heads of two boys uh, that were nine and ten, she told a magazine, which said the uh, description of beheaded children could not be independently verified. But the outlet reported that Christians in Afghanistan said that they had received phone calls from the Taliban promising to behead them and that a British politician said that refugees had told him the extremists forced people to watch their relatives being beheaded. So as we continue to pray for the situation in Afghanistan, keep in mind uh, what many of them are facing. Meanwhile, China's biggest movie star has been scrubbed from the Internet. The award-winning director, singer, actress Zhao Wei's uh, online presence has vanished. Well, today, the 45-year-old star has been erased from the Chinese Internet. Searches for her name on the country's biggest video streaming site comes up blank. Her projects, including the wildly popular TV series, uh, series rather, My Fair Princess, have been removed. Anyone looking up her acclaimed film So Young on China's equivalent of Wikipedia wouldn't know she was a director. The field now reads... Ms. Zhao's online disappearance on August 26 came at the onset of a broader clampdown on the country's entertainment industry. Well, the Chinese government hasn't uh, publicly stated what prompted this sudden change of her status, raised questions among fans and observers about how far it's willing to go against her and other celebrities and why. Hugh Hewitt points out that this uh, is the world's future if uh, the Communist Chinese Party controls it. Orwell was an optimist. Well, Facebook admits the Instagram app increases teen anxiety and suicidal thoughts, especially among young girls. But they're okay with it because, well, the app makes them so much money. 32% of teen girls said that when they uh, felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. The researcher said in March of 2020 in a slide presentation posted to Facebook's internal message board. Reviewed by the Wall Street Journal, comparisons on Instagram can change how young women view and describe themselves. Later, the Wall Street Journal reported among teens who reported suicidal thoughts, 13 percent of uh, British users and 6 percent of American users traced the desire to kill themselves to Instagram. One presentation showed Megan Fox says instead of recognizing an obvious public health issue and taking steps to correct it, Facebook is focused on growing its consumer base in the teen category, which will lead to more of them being harmed by the toxic platform. Now, it seems to me mom and dad have a role in uh, in all of this. Well, House Republicans have accused the president of politicizing the process of administering vaccines from that story. In a letter to FDA acting commissioner Dr. Janet Woodcock, Scalise and Comer point to Biden's August 18th announcement that vaccine booster shots would be available nationwide the week of September 20th. Well, this shot will boost your immune response, Biden said, and Um, As anxiety mounted over the Delta variant, it will increase your protection from COVID-19, and it's the best way to protect ourselves from new variants that could arise. So they're accusing the president of politicizing it. The FDA is still um, deciding whether or not that is uh, uh, what they want to endorse, and we'll just have to see what happens next. Well, within moments, a number of experts began to wonder whether the president had jumped the gun. Indeed, he had. In fact, the president made the announcement before the vaccine makers had even submitted the needed data to the FDA. So it's not even possible yet. 
That led to turmoil inside the agency, where according to a report in August in Politico, officials scrambled to collect and analyze the data that clearly demonstrate the boosters' benefits before the administration's September 20th deadline for rolling them out to most adults. Well, in other words, the FDA raced to find something to support the president's announcement. Florida Governor DeSantis says the president's mandate ignores science. The governor said if you were really following science, you would acknowledge natural immunity. Instead, they ignore it. If you do not acknowledge that, you are not following science. This is about using government power control to mandate, not the underlying medical issues. Holman Jenkins says courts in The Wall Street Journal says courts have already been asked to review employer mandates as applied to workers who previously had COVID. Our vaccines were never tested on this group. The immunity they receive after surviving the disease or the virus appears to be roughly as good as the vaccine. That's already 150 million Americans for whom mandatory vaccination may be hard to justify and could be harmful. Well, a Democrat congresswoman is angry as a Minneapolis judge stopped a measure to defund police. Ilhan Omar took her anger to the street as the judge removed the ballot measure for being unreasonable and misleading. A federal judge has declined to block the Florida ban on mask mandates. Um, they apparently use the uh, children with disabilities, uh, saying that they are at risk of death if parents are allowed to opt out of mask mandates. So that was the photo op for the measure. Well, General Mark Milley's more or less corroborates um, the bombshell story that he'd forewarned China if the U.S. was going to strike. Now, whether or not he included in his comments I will um, I will let you know ahead of time if something's going to happen. You won't be surprised. The White House is uh, defending Milley amid the barrage of criticism. And Milley's favorite Chinese general is one of the uh, Communist Chinese Party's biggest saber rattlers. Well, Democrats are trying to sneak eight million green cards into the, pr- the proposed spending bill. And President Biden is reportedly furious over Joe Manchin's spending block. Well, the U.S. has made covid vaccinations mandatory for new immigrants, but not those who have entered the country illegal as immigrants. Thirty seven thousand Afghan refugees are headed to 46 states, including Oregon. Australia will get nuclear submarines and a new deal with the U.S. and the U.K., sending a potential message to China. France issued a very angry response. Migrant encounters exceeded 200,000 again in August as the border surge continues. But there's nothing to see there. No one's talking about it. Fentanyl uh, smuggling surged uh, at the border as well. Seizures have nearly doubled the 200 or rather the 2020 numbers. Well, France terminated a leader of the Islamic State in the greater Sahara. Well, Portland scrapped a planned um, boycott of the Texas pro-life law, but instead they're going to provide 200,000 of your tax dollars to fund abortion organizations there. L.A. County authoritarians plan to require proof of vaccination for indoor bars, nightclubs and breweries. And the special enrollment period sparked 2.8 million Obamacare signups. A new study suggests that almost half of those hospitalized with covid have a mild or asymptomatic case. Not the first time a parents group is demanding a child pornography investigation of a Netflix show be conducted. Former House Speaker Dennis Hastert has settled the child abuse payments lawsuit that emerged while still in office. And SpaceX successfully launched its first all civilian mission. Well, on this day in history, 1810, Mexico signs its revolt against Spanish rule. 
1940, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he signs the Selective Training and Service Act. 1974, President Gerald R. Ford announces a conditional amnesty program for Vietnam War deserters and draft dodgers. 1976, the Episcopal Church at its general convention in Minneapolis formally approves the ordination of women as priests and bishops. On this day in history, 1987, two dozen countries signed the Montreal Protocol, a treaty designed to save the Earth's ozone layer by calling on nations to reduce emissions of harmful chemicals by the year 2000. 1994, a federal jury in Anchorage, Alaska, orders Exxon Corporation to pay $5 billion in punitive damages for the 1989 Exxon Valdez oil spill. The U.S. Supreme Court would later reduce that amount to $507.5 million. 2007, contractors for the U.S. security firm Blackwater USA guarding a U.S. State Department convoy in Baghdad opened fire on civilian vehicles, mistakenly believing they were under attack. 14 Iraqis were killed. 2007, O.J. Simpson is arrested in the alleged armed robbery of sports memorabilia collectors in Las Vegas. Simpson would be convicted of kidnapping and armed robbery and sentenced to 9 to 33 years in prison. He has since been released. 2014, President Obama declares the Ebola epidemic in West Africa. It could threaten security around the world and orders 3,000 U.S. troops to the region. And 2018, at least 17 people are confirmed dead from Hurricane Florence, and the North Carolina city of Wilmington is cut off by still rising waters as catastrophic flooding spread across the Carolinas. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming at the top of the hour. And then later in the second hour, Steve Brown, Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Looking forward to sharing a conversation with Steve Brown, author of Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable. That's coming up in our next couple of segments right here on the Georgine Rice Show. Well, continuing to take a look at some of the day's news. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, he's bragged pretty much that his social media empire allows more than three billion users to speak on equal footing with the elites and that its standards of behavior apply to everyone. He's, well, how should we put this? Prevaricating. We'll put it that way. In fact, according to internal Facebook documents turned over by a whistleblower to the Wall Street Journal, Zuckerberg and his co-conspirators employ a whistle, um, it's a whitelisting, that's what they're calling it, whitelisting system uh, called CrossCheck, which allows the rich and famous, you know, celebrities, politicians, even journalists, some journalists, um, allows them to um, to get away with posting behavior that would get the rest of us banned. How many of these elite users are we talking about? Well, apparently more than 5.8 million as of 2020, according to the do- the documents made available by this whistleblower. In one of the most egregious examples of Facebook's privileged approach, Brazilian soccer star Neymar He posted revenge porn of a woman who'd accused him of rape. Facebook's policy for the posting of non-consensual intimate images is, rightly, to remove them immediately. But the company's cross-check program allowed these pictures, these images, of uh, Neymar's accuser to remain up for more than a day, allowing some 56 million Facebook and Instagram users to see not only the images, but the name of the woman. If you or I attempted something similar, that would not have been allowed. 
So much for Zuckerberg's equal footing, or perhaps as on Orwell's animal farm, some of us are simply more equal than others. As the journal reports, a 2019 internal review of Facebook's existing practices marked attorney-client privilege found favoritism to those elite users to be both widespread and not publicly defensible. We are not actually doing what we say we do publicly, said the confidential review. It called the company's actions a breach of trust and added, unlike the rest of our community, these people can violate our standards without any consequences. This is an internal memo that the journal reported on, Wall Street Journal. Well, unless you're Donald Trump, in that case, Facebook will ban you altogether for a period of of years. Good luck with your lawsuit, Mr. Former President. Well, to be sure, not everyone at Facebook is comfortable with its double standard. One of the fundamental reasons um, the uh, whistleblower joined Facebook, uh, said uh, Samid Chakrabarti, uh, who headed the company's civic team, is that I believe in its potential to be a profoundly democratizing force that enables everyone to have an equal civic voice. So having different rules on speech for different people is very troubling to me. Well, it's troubling to a lot of people. Of course, we've long known that big tech is um, holds a double standard, particularly if your ideology happens to be to the right or to the left. This is just more uh, hickory for the bonfire. And the journal says this revelation is merely the first in a series of articles. So Zuckerberg and his team uh, might want to assume the position. It'll be um, one thing if uh, Facebook were only making consenting adults miserable, but a separate journal article shows how Instagram, Facebook's photo sharing app, is particularly harmful to teen girls, and they know it. They've known it. Well, Facebook recognizes how harmful its photo sharing app Instagram can be for teen girls' self-esteem, according to the company's documents attained by the Wall Street Journal. Researchers tapped by the tech giant to examine the app's impact on young users' mental health over the past three years found that 32% of teen girls who felt bad about their bodies said Instagram made the issue worse. Again, according to the Wall Street Journal, Karina Newton, Instagram's head of public policy, said in a Tuesday blog post that it stands by the research, which demonstrates the company's commitment to understanding complex and difficult issues young people may struggle with and informs all the work Instagram does to help that uh, help those experiencing those issues. Now, I'm not sure how a platform like Instagram can protect young women uh, when, in fact, they're going to the picture sharing site. Uh, They're seeing images of other women, old and young, who look better than they do, and their self-esteem suffers. I'm not sure if that's the role of Instagram or if that's the role of parents, but um, this is what the, uh, the study says. We're proud that our apps can give voice to those who have been marginalized, that it can help friends and family stay connected from all corners of the world, that it can prompt societal change. But we also know it can be a place where people have negative experiences, as the journal called out today. On her blog post, that's what Ms. Newton wrote. Newton added that its uh, job is to make sure people feel good about the experience they have on Instagram. One 2019 slide on Instagram researchers presentation uh, details uh, uh, findings uh, of the app that say that it makes body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. Now, mom and dad, you might want to make note. Maybe your teen girl doesn't belong on Instagram. Teens blame Instagram for um, increases in the rate of anxiety and depression. Another slide read, according to the Wall Street Journal, this reaction was 
unprompted and consistent across all groups. Well, some users also attribute time spent on the top or rather on the app to experiencing suicidal thoughts. Six percent of American users indicated a connection between the two compared to 13 percent of U.K. users. The slide presentation reviewed by the Wall Street Journal said these are internal slideshows. Now, about four in 10 Americans use Instagram compared to about seven in 10 Americans who use Facebook, according to a Pew Research survey published in April. Among young adult users between the ages of 18 and 29, the majority or 81 percent said they use Instagram. More than 40 percent of the app's users are under 22 and about 22 million teens use the app every day. Wall Street Journal uh, reported, citing Facebook's own documents. A 2018 Pew Research poll uh, indicated that, or rather survey, indicated that uh, Newton cited in her Tuesday blog post found that 81% of teens ages 13 to 17 found that social media in general makes them feel more connected, while 26% said it makes them feel insecure. Four in 10 teens said that they only post on social media so that they look good to other people. And more than half of teens surveyed said they had unfriended or unfollowed other users due to bullying. So if you have a whole population of young people who are only posting what makes them look and feel good, they're being viewed by others who look and don't feel so good. It perpetuates the problem. Now, maybe uh, younger people don't belong on the platform, and that's certainly something that Instagram via Facebook could consider. Well, though Netflix's um, animated series Big Mouth bills itself as a TVMA and is ostensibly intended for adults, it features 12 and 13 year old characters engaging in well sexual activity and includes animated nudity and graphic dialogue, according to a parent group demanding Netflix be investigated over the show. Now, this would be the The second time in recent memory, one scene, for example, shows a 13 year old boy who doesn't want to be left at camp yelling. Um, I won't repeat what he's yelling to his departing father. Another um, shows a group of middle school boys fully nude in a shower behaving inappropriately. Still another scene shows two boys discussing um, activity that they've engaged in, sharing tips on how to do it better and um Behaving inappropriately. Well, a new report from the Parents Television and Media Council argues that despite being a cartoon, Big Mouth's sexually explicit content is meant to depict minors and therefore qualifies as child pornography. Well, the group is calling on law enforcement to investigate the distributor, which is Netflix. Well, for the report released on Wednesday, the Parents Television Council and the Media Council uh, reviewed 10 episodes of Big Mouth among the explicit content and found a child. Um, Okay, I'm not even going to repeat this because uh, seeing it is one thing, repeating it on the radio is another. Let me just say it's highly unnecessary and inappropriate. Uh, And while Big Mouth is apparently a program that's intended for adults, it features 12 and 13 year olds behaving very inappropriately um, and um, in a state of undress. We'll leave it at that. Meanwhile, a mayor in Ohio told all five local school board members to resign during a board meeting or face charges over class material for high schoolers he deemed child pornography. It has come to my attention that your educators are distributing essentially what a child pornography, what is child pornography in the classroom. Um, Hudson Mayor Craig Schubert told Hudson Board of Education during a meeting 
earlier this week. I've spoken to a judge this evening. She's already confirmed that. So I'm going to give you a simple choice. You either choose to resign from this Board of Education or you will be charged, Schubert added, which was met with uh, cheers from the audience. Schubert's comments came in response to writing um, prompts found in a book called 642 Things to Write About. Uh, which had been distributed to some high school students who were taking a college credit course. The material included asking students to write a sex scene uh, you wouldn't show your mom, rewrite a sex scene from a, above into uh, one that you'd let your mom read, and another prompting um, uh, students to uh, drink a beer and describe how it tastes, according to the uh, local Journal. Well, the material set off a firestorm from parents, including speakers who also attended the board meeting and called the uh, prompts disgusting and a form of grooming. Well, Hudson City School Superintendent Phil Herman, uh, he called the material inappropriate and offensive uh, writing prompts in a prepared statement and said the books were pulled from schools on Monday. But it took this hearing for that to happen. The district immediately determined this writing resource should not be in the hands of our students and on Monday collected the books from the students enrolled in the course. It is important to note that at no time were any of these inappropriate writing prompts assigned as part of a class. Well, that wasn't satisfactory uh, to parents or to the mayor and the school board members were given that option. Stick around and be charged or resign. We'll continue to follow that story. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to share a conversation with Steve Brown. His book is Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable. That's coming up next on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, it can be difficult to be a Christian in today's culture. There are a lot of assumptions about what Christians do and don't believe, what we should and shouldn't do. Speaking up about issues related to faith can be intimidating. Well, in his new book, Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable, my next guest, Key Life Network founder Steve Brown, calls Christians to step out and speak up about what they know to be true, but to do it in a comely way. He invites Christians to cultivate both the boldness and humility in communicating gospel truth by uncovering self-righteousness and spiritual arrogance. Uh, Talk the Walk shatters stereotypes and helps believers consider how they present the good news without watering it down and without offending by our approach. He writes that while we as Christians may be right on issues of salvation and theology, we may miss the less articulated truths of humility, love, and forgiveness. And by helping men and women love others out of a deeper love in Christ, the one who first loved us, regardless of our condition at the time. He helps Christians present the gospel clearly and with compassion. Oh, would that we would do that well. Well, Steve Brown is the founder of Key Life Network, Inc., the Bible teacher on the radio program Key Life and host of the talk show Steve Brown, etc. He was a pastor for more than 30 years and continues speaking extensively. He's authored numerous book, books, rather, including How to Talk So People Will Listen, Three Free Sins, Hidden Agendas, and his latest release, Talk the Walk. He's also written for publications such as Leadership, Decision, Plain Truth, and Today's Christian Woman. He previously served as a member of the Board of Directors Directors of Christianity Today and Harvest USA. He and his wife um, have two married daughters, three granddaughters. They make their home in Orlando, Florida. But today he is ours by virtue of phone to talk about his latest book, Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable. Steve Brown, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Georgine. Thanks for having me. 
<laughs> I was having a conversation with one of my coworkers earlier today, and we were marveling at your dulcet tones and your beautiful voice. <laughs> I might get distracted. Georgina, just a bit. I just want you to know I'm good looking too. <laughs> we it, suspected as you much. You know, it's hard to just be a pretty voice. <laughs> Actually, God thought it was funny to put this voice in this uh, body, and I've never thought it was funny. But He said it was good for me. Yeah, so I guess it's okay, and it's good for the rest of us. So we're we're happy about. Well, let me ask you about our perception of where we stand as believers in the 21st century in America. There certainly has been a cultural shift toward dismissing a Christian worldview. And we, uh, many of us today, have never experienced this kind of uh, pressure uh, to walk our faith out in our culture. But how is that different than what Christians have experienced around the world from its, uh, its beginning? Well, certainly in this country, uh, we have moved into what scholars for a while called post-modernity. Mm-hmm. And um, that word is not uh, in in academic circles anymore. But we know there's been a cultural shift. Before, we had power and money and political connections. I'm an old guy, so I can remember when they used to print pastor sermons on the front pages of the local local newspapers. But now, uh, if you've read the studies, there are a lot of nuns. Uh, You know that we don't have any power or leverage anymore. We don't have uh, the kind of PR we once had. And that's really bad. As a matter of fact, it's not. It's really good. Uh, We now have to do it Jesus' way, and uh, that's not a half-bad place to be. I teach my students that um, if they'll take off their ties and um, if they will be real, They can go down to the section in Orlando where people have purple hair and earrings and funny places and sit down. And if they'll listen, they will be heard. For the first time in almost a century, Christians have a level playing field. Um, And so it's really good news. But In order for that level playing field to work, we've got to set aside some things that have been important to us, Hmm. like success and uh, leverage, um, the way we've gotten our ways. I have a friend who wrote a book a couple of years ago called Minority Rules, and he, of course, was playing on the words But we live in a, in fact, I don't know of any time in my lifetime where Christians can get a hearing more than right now. But as a matter of fact, we're doing it wrong. So. Mm. Is part uh, of the reason we keep doing it wrong? They're not going to listen. Yeah, is part of the reason we struggle because we we are not familiar with Jesus' way and we are doing it wrong. That's very true. That's very true, and we. And, and I, you know, I, I don't believe in any way that we should compromise our truth because it's revealed and we have to speak it. I wrote a chapter in the book called uh, Watered Down Wine, and there are a lot of people who change the truth in order to be accepted. 
or alternatively won't speak the truth. And we don't dare do that because the issue is so important. Now, you write, and it's it's difficult to say out loud, but because it's true, I will. You write that some of the meanest, most condemning and arrogant people on the face of the earth are Christians. Um, and that we're missing out on, uh, with regarding uh, to humility and love and forgiveness. How did we miss the mark? I mean, you've, you've touched on this and what you've already said, but how is it that we've drifted, drifted so far um, from having a, gaining a hearing um, by the attitude and our approach? Because, Georgine, uh, self-righteousness is addictive. And not only is it addictive, it's the one sin that never names itself. And so if you're self-righteous, and we're right, by the way, Georgine, that's the most dangerous thing about being a Christian is that we're right. And if you're right, it's a very short step to move from that to righteousness, to self-righteousness. And we've started to assume that we're people's mother, that we've been called to change the world by winning the arguments. And, um, Georgine, it's just not true. Um, uh, if you ask the average person what they think about a Christian, it won't be very positive. And so it seems to me that the first thing that we have to do if we're going to witness and do it Jesus' way is to confess our sins. Hmm. We don't do that. We, you know, we try to portray, we think that we must be perfect. And if we can't pull that off, it'll hurt our witness. Georgine, that's from the pit of hell. It's not biblical. It's not true. If you read the seventh chapter of uh, Romans, the apostle Paul gives the most amazing confession. In fact, when I first read it, I thought, I don't believe I would have said that. And he's very clear about his own sins. And there are those Bible scholars who say he's talking about the past. But the last time I checked, uh, God could conjugate verbs. <laughs> and if it was supposed to be in the past, it'd be written in the past. Paul's talking about the ongoing reality of every believer. In fact, when we proclaim that we were following Christ, we joined a club where the only requirement is not to be qualified. And, and we forget that sometimes. Martin Luther said, sanctification is getting used to your justification. And uh, we don't think that. We think sanctification is being better and better in every way, every day so that the world will see how nice and wonderful and obedient we are and will want to be like us. They don't want to be like us. But if, and then I'm, you know, I'm rambling on, but Georgine, the most important response that a Christian can get to his or her witness is this. You too, I never would have guessed. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. We're going to take a break here in a moment, but when we come back, I want to uh, invite you to talk about the phrase, speak the truth in love. Um, uh, There are things that we misunderstand about love that results in not speaking the truth well, and I want to give you an opportunity to, uh, to comment on that. So we'll be back in just a few moments. Again, we're talking about the book, Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable. 
maybe more challenging than, than we realize because we don't realize we're insufferable. We'll be back with my guest in just a few moments, Steve Brown. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Continuing my conversation with Steve Brown, his latest book, Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable. Now, many of us, most of us are familiar with the uh, scripture that says that we're to speak the truth in love. What is it that we get wrong? You've talked about um, hypocrisy, self-righteousness, but also humility and love. What is it that we get wrong uh, with this notion of speaking the truth in love? You can work up that if you're... um if you uh, really try, you can love people that you don't love very much. As a matter of fact, that's not true. Uh, love doesn't uh, isn't something you can manufacture or even that you can fake. Uh, let me give you a principle. Well, let me tell you two things. Okay. First, um, love in response to goodness isn't love. It's reward. And the only way you can experience love is to be unlovable. Then the principle is this. You can't love until you've been loved, and then you can only love to the degree to which you have been loved. And um, what most Christians miss is the fact that we've been called to do nothing but allow Jesus to love us. And when he does that, then we have the ability to love other people insofar as we allow him to love us. I have a friend whose uh, business is billboards, and he became concerned a number of years ago with the divisions and the hatred and the war that was going on in Northern Ireland. And he wanted to do something, but he didn't know what to do. But since his business was billboards, he took out billboard advertising all over Northern Ireland. And by the way, I love that country. I was there not too long ago for some uh, meeting with a bunch of churches where I was teaching. And uh, you know what he put on those billboards? He put the simple message, I love you. Is that okay? Sign Jesus. Well, that sign was for pagans, of course, but it was also important for Christians. And once we realize that, listen, we're we're unlovable people. We really are, Georgine. And uh, once we recognize that we're what the Bible says we are, and we run to Jesus because the law has convicted us. We get loved. And then an amazing thing happens, a whole attitude change in terms of our relationship with other people. And our witness, too. Our witness it becomes, I hate that word, authentic. It's being overused, mm-hmm. but I can't think of a better one. But we become real. Yeah. We... The best thing we can do in our world is confess our sins because we're nothing but beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. And we're not former beggars either. We're needy just like pagans. We're sinful. Uh, We are scared. We're lonely sometimes. We're marginalized sometimes. And once we're willing to take off our armor, 
and to speak about the difference that Jesus makes, people will listen. I know that it's a challenge for us to make that admission that we know to be true, but we sometimes imagine that if we are that open about our neediness before God, that somehow we're not going to be heard. But the opposite is, in fact, true. If we acknowledge our need for Christ in the same way that the world needs him, then it seems that we're more approachable and less, um, well, self-righteous, to use the word, the phrase that we've been using. <laughs> it is so true. And, and you know, it's always a surprise because we didn't expect it. Um, you know what? And I, you know, I'm into evidential apologetics and I like all that kind of stuff. But the main issue of apologetics is the problem of suffering. And I don't have all the answers for it, but I do know that for believers, when we go through bad stuff, uh, God is bringing us to the end of ourselves. And when we finally get to the end of ourselves, then maybe Jesus can use us as his witness in the world. Hmm. You write about some things that we should never do and um, how those things uh, get us into trouble. What should we as believers never do? (laughs) Georgina, I wrote this book a year and a half ago, and I don't remember what I said (laughs) in that chapter. (laughs) But I know some things we should never do. We should never be arrogant. Uh, We should never pretend to be something we're not. We should be honest, never dishonest about our witness, never change the truth in order to be accepted, always speak the truth when God gives us an opportunity, don't remain silent. You know, Satan's biggest trick is to get us to be, to be quiet, and the way he does it is we think nobody will listen, but they will. They will listen if we're willing to be like Jesus, no money, no power, no leverage, no manipulation. By the way, there's a there's a chapter in the book that's titled uh, "Nobody's Mother." You know, we've been we've been uh, thinking that every time locusts attack a third world country crop. We ask, what did we do wrong? <laughs> and we've taken on ourselves a job uh, that is only God's job. I, uh, I don't have to fix other people. That's not my responsibility. I can't even fix myself. Uh, and, so, and so once I decide that I don't have to be somebody's mother, uh, then at that point I can be their friend. And that includes gays and lesbians and liars and and gluttons and and all kinds of people, because those are the people that Jesus loves, and we dare not um, avoid the people that Jesus Himself loves. For such were some of us, and still are. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's me. You know, we did a promotional video on this book, and they hired a fighting ring uh, with a lot of smoke, and I was standing in the middle of the fighting ring and uh, talked about how we're always fighting. 
and I'm always trying to tell people how good I am. And I'm phony, and since I'm an expert, I can speak to this issue. And so that's why I wrote the book. <laughs> what do you want your readers to to be the number one takeaway uh, from Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable? And I, I love the use of that word, by the way. And, um, I think the one thing I would take away is, I would want people to take away, is the importance of being like Jesus and not like our pastor. Hmm. <laughs> you know, we I have taught more courses on evangelism than I can possibly say. And um and I repent because evangelism is showing Georgine, everybody who's a Christian listening right now smells like Jesus and you can't help it. When Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, it wasn't a command. It was a fact. And so even if you're not walking it, you still smell like Jesus. And all you got to do is to be who you are, hang with him, and go where he goes, and you'll be absolutely blown away with what happens. Amen. Once again, the title of the book, Talk the Walk, How to Be Right Without Being Insufferable. I plan on reading it again, and I thank you so much for joining us today to talk about it. Georgine, thanks for having me. You're a delight. Thank you so much. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Steve Brown. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, in view of some of the headlines we've covered today, I was struck by a column written by Victor Davis Hansen, who's one of my favorite, favorite columnists. He was writing, in this case, for the Patriot Post, and he asked the question, does America still work? He writes that for nearly two years, Americans have engaged in a great woke experiment of cannibalizing themselves. American civilization has invested massive labor, capital, and time in an effort to constantly flagellate itself for not being perfect. Yet America's resilience and its resources are not infinite. We're now beginning to see the consequences of what happens when pre-modern tribalism absorbs Americans. There are repercussions when ideology governs policy or when we take for granted the basics of life to pursue its trappings. Who cares whether the blow-dried media is woke if it can't report the truth and keep politicians honest? Once journalists become progressive poodles rather than the watchdog of government, the administration had no fear of audit. It took for granted that its disasters from the southern border to the chaos in Afghanistan would be excused by toady reporters. Government-engineered equity has replaced the goal of equal opportunity, but such utopianism births popular anger when personal initiative, excellence, and performance don't count as much as virtue-signaling groupthink. The United States just suffered a terrible and shameful defeat in Afghanistan. The catastrophe reminds us that the Biden administration had its politicized military and bureaucracy mostly fixate on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and to root out supposed internal enemies. So our top brass and functionaries talked of redirecting the military to every possible woke agenda, except ensuring military superiority and the safety of the United States. The results is horrific. It's a mess of a pre-modern Taliban army routing the most sophisticated military in the history of civilization, We shudder when America begs pre-modern tribes not to murder our citizens whom we abandoned in full retreat. 
Airline CEOs virtue signal their wokeness by condemning voter ID laws, though such identification is required to board their planes. The new normal for U.S. airlines is woke delays, woke cancellations, and woke anarchy in the skies. Some universities now subject their admissions, their hiring, and their research to race and gender directives. This is contrary to the civil rights movement that was embraced and admired by most of the country. There's less concern about the collective student debt of $1.7 trillion. College students may graduate woke, but they do so with far less impressive reading and writing skills than their less politically correct predecessors a half century ago. One wonders what kind of employment options they'll have in the future. Are college administrators really so virtuous when they boast of improvising diversity, equity, and inclusion? Why then do they ignore indebted and poorly educated graduates, veritable serfs who cannot afford homes, put off raising families, and prolong their adolescence rather than becoming autonomous citizens? We know from centuries past which policies ensure public safety and which guarantee crime. All laws must be enforced equally. Yet now, suicidal legal and critical race theories sometimes govern which laws are enforced and which are ignored. That is, of course, if you are ideologically in the right camp. If a state attorney prosecutes crime or chooses not to prosecute them on the basis of ideology and race rather than on questions of impartial law, then who would obey, much less honor, any of them? Well, the police must not just be monitored, but respected and supported. Today, they are defamed and defunded. Now, we would all agree that those law enforcement officers that cross the line need to be held accountable, but to paint with a broad brush all who wear the uniform would be foolish. If those who commit crimes do not expect to be arrested and punished, then crime pays. And so we get more of it. Cries to empty the jails and prisons and pull back on police might sound neat on Twitter, but lots of innocent Americans will suffer the deadly consequences of someone else's virtue signaling. Before a country can conduct cancer research, explore outer space, or defeat its enemies thousands of miles away, its citizens must have access to affordable fuel, food, and shelter. But ideologies now restrict irrigation water, gasoline supplies, power generation, and timber production. They may seem woke and enlightened to each other, but they are indifferent to the um, exorbitant cost of living, the growing shortages of necessities, and the hundreds of thousands of homeless living amid filth, excrement, and disease on the nation's urban sidewalks. Social media fights, the cancel culture wars between celebrities and elites, the virtual signal, virtue signaling rather of academics and actors, all of it means nothing if Americans don't have safe roads, viable travel, affordable gas, food and housing, and safety in their homes. Increasingly, they do not have these things. Woke leaders are losing the ability to do the hard and essential work of civilization, largely because they are obsessed with the dispensable. We live in a world of cell phones, Skype, and Zoom, but high-tech has become a mere veneer pasted over medieval urban streets and Depression-era highways. It's more dangerous to walk the nighttime streets of Chicago than those of war-torn Kabul. Until our officials can ensure a humane and sustainable standard of living, we have no business lecturing others abroad, much less conducting endless witch hunts of our own at home. I think he poses a very important and timely question, again, referring to Victor Davis Hansen, when he asks, does America still work? 
does America still work? And he makes the point that American resilience uh, and its resources are not infinite. There is an end to them. James, I'm trying desperately to get your attention. Anyway, there is a uh, uh, there is an end to them. And we are beginning now to see the consequences of what happens when pre-modern tribalism absorbs America. And it is an interesting question in light of some of the controversies that we face. Well, some of China's most advanced warships appear to be among four People's Liberation Army naval vessels that sailed within the exclusive economic zone of the United States off Alaska at the end of August. Well, a photo that was taken by the U.S. Coast Guard at the time, but posted on the Pentagon's Defense Visual Information Distribution Service website only this week, shows three Chinese vessels photographed from the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Berthoff. A second photo shows the cutter's um, captain communicating with one of the Chinese vessels. Well, a statement from the U.S. Coast Guard uh, said Berthoff the, and the second Coast Guard cutter, Kimball, observed four ships from the People's Liberation Army Navy operating as close as 46 miles off the Aleutian Island coast. And while the ships were within the U.S. exclusive economic zone, they followed international laws and norms and at no point entered U.S. territorial waters, it said. The uh, Coast Guard said the four ships were a guided missile cruiser, a guided missile destroyer, a general intelligence vessel and an auxiliary vessel. It didn't identify the ships further. But three weeks ago, the Chinese Communist Party paper Global Times reported um, report rather mentioned a planned task force of four ships transiting to Soya Strait north of Japan before entering the Pacific Ocean. A Chinese journalist also tweeted about the task force. Well, the ships were identified as the Type 055 destroyer, uh, Nanchang, the Type 052D destroyer, an electronic surveillance ship and a supply vessel. Um, The guided missile destroyer um, is a new class of 10,000 ton ship, which, according to the Pentagon, boasts a large load out of its uh, weapons, including anti-ship cruise missiles, surface-to-air missiles and anti-submarine weapons along uh, with land attack cruise missiles and anti-ship ballistic missiles. One of China's newest warships, the Nanchang, was first seen publicly during the uh, April 2019 naval parade off uh, Shandong province, commemorating the 70th anniversary of the founding of Plan. Well, Chinese warships could soon show up uh, near Hawaii and Guam, according to China's state-run newspaper Global Times. The newspaper said warships could be on their way following claims that the U.S. Navy challenged international waters near Beijing. Well, the Global Times editor-in-chief tweeted, hopefully when Chinese warships pass through the Caribbean Sea or show up near Hawaii and Guam one day, the U.S. will uphold the same standard of freedom of navigation. That day will come soon. Something to think about. Well, I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program and Clark Hilton for engineering. I'm off tomorrow. I'm going to be at the Cannon Beach Conference Center helping to lead worship and will revisit my conversation with Joel Rosenberg on his book, Unforgettable Journey Inside the Fast Moving and Immensely Turbulent Modern Middle East. And we'll share this week's Christian Outlook. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.